This is the Icon Podcast, a community of trained readers reflecting Jesus with Michael Burns and Jason Alexander. I'm your host, Gianna Hearn, and today we are going to continue the Gospel of Mark, but we also have a special guest. So before we get into our reading, I would love it if Michael would introduce who we have joining us on the show today. Well, we have um, a guest who's very hard to schedule on the podcast. She's been on there before, but it is none other than my intelligent and strong and insightful wife, my Cresha Burns. Hey, it's good to be back. Excited to have you and definitely the better half of <laughs> the Burns family. I'm, See, I'd that, like to put it out there. That was hurtful, but Okay. <laughs> Oh, well, we're excited to, to have you. And um, and I'm, maybe I'm more excited. Maybe it's just me. I don't know about you, Jason. <laughs> Jason I, looks um, pretty excited. I'm pretty excited. This is what it looks like for me. I'm dying <laughs> it excited. It looks overjoyed. Exactly. Yeah. This is the most excitement I've seen out of Jason. And, yep. you know, it's a ton. Well, like I said, we're going to continue the study of the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be in chapter 8, verses 34 through 38. And like we said in the last few episodes, we were really getting into the meat and the exciting part of Mark that we want to discuss. And so today we're going to have our guests jump right in and read for us these verses. My Cresha. Okay. Mark 8, 34 through 38. It says, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it. But whoever loses his life for me, I'm sorry, whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. All right. Thank you, my Cretia. So we're jumping into our first section, reading glasses on. What do we see here, Jason? Um, yeah, I mean, this is the, the okay, let's see. It, we ha- we kind of have to pan out. Uh, if we want to get our bearings and not just uh, start with what he's doing here, because if you remember, you we could go back to let's see, verse twenty-two of chapter eight, uh, where a new uh, chord is struck, or you know, we're in the what you might call travel narrative in the gospel, and Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem. Uh, that story began with a man who at first only saw shapes. The Lord touched him and he saw clearly. And now that story is going to be embodied in how Jesus's closest followers hear his the predictions of his own death. And so this is a... Um, this is the first uh, of three times in this section where Jesus gets real explicit. Uh, he, he tells them uh, the truth about the very uh, imminent future, and we watch them uh, fail to grasp it. Uh, so that's my first uh, observation is that it's um, here, here we go. He's telling them what's going to come. We haven't really seen that. 
Mycresha, your thoughts on what you see? Um, let's see. I, see. Uh, you I was know, actually, I, I'm so distracted. <laughs> I like to put um, people on the spot. Michael. Typically, well, this that's is fine. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fine. I just had like my mind was somewhere else. Okay. So what I see, um, I guess I see what is there, you know, like what uh, Jesus saying, I mean, basically calling this crowd to, to deny himself and letting or them to deny themselves and letting them know that, um, you know, in the context, like he's talking about or preparing for his death and his resurrection, that it's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard, um, a hard life to follow. And um, I think in context too, you think about it, um, if, if the height of, um, of success or the height of, you know, um, uh, I guess getting there or arriving is, you know, um, whether it be, uh, let's see, like monetary or their measure of success was different. He's saying, you know, it's going to cost you something even up to your physical life, which is where he was headed as well. Right. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. And, you know, it's so interesting to me that Jesus called the crowd to him and we've been seeing him kind of avoid crowds or try to, even though they came to him anyways. Uh, But he himself says, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples. He wanted not only the people traveling with him this whole time to hear, but the crowd around, which is typically what we say uh, has to do with a lot of chaos or distractions or just not always the most positive. So Michael, what should we be seeing here? Well, there's a lot actually in this little section. One of the things I I hope we catch as we've been going through here now and, and trying to walk with people like how to observe and do this is notice in verse 34, what, what jumps out at you there? It says he called the crowd to him. Now, Mark has presented the crowds as an obstacle kind of in the way of the gospel. And now as Jesus has, has laid out, the, you know, he's laying out the way of the cross and he laid that out to Peter and Peter rebuked it for him or rebuked him for it. He calls the crowd over to him, which is unique, but it's a signal that he's okay. The way of the cross is being opened here. It, it, here it comes. It's it's being laid out not just for the disciples, but for the crowds. The other thing here is now we've talked a lot about in Mark phrases that seem uh, comfortable to us that we seem to know, and so we don't put in the work to understand them, right? And so when we see these common phrases. It should be a warning that, man, I shouldn't just assume that I know what some of these things mean. So deny themselves, take up their cross, follow me, uh, save your life, lose your life, that whole um, idea. We need to actually stop and dig into those terms and look at it in the context of Mark and what he's been doing and what's going on in the gospel and all of that before we just assume we know what that means. You know, be the, be ashamed of Jesus and his words. So there's a lot of these little phrases here that we could easily just skip over and assume. And when we do that, we actually, 
will miss, I think, uh, the really primary point here that Jesus was making and that Mark wants us to see. Um, now, if you're, this would be hard to see in English, but if you're using like an interlinear or something, you see a really strong connection uh, with the last passage we looked at where Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And he uses the phrase, apiso ego, get, get behind me, right? And then he says um, in verse 34, whoever wants to be my disciple must, and, and basically the idea, he uses the same exact phrase. If anyone wants to come after me or behind me, they must apiso ego. So he's using the same phrase, uh, get behind me, Satan. Now you, I want you to get behind me and follow me in line. Um, and so Mark, in the original language, that's really uh, obvious. So we have those sorts of things. We have um, this choice of exchanges uh, between lose your life for Jesus and the gospel or gain the whole world and forfeit your soul. What does that mean? We, we would want to read that in context. Um, and like I said, be ashamed of Jesus and his words. So th there's much here that we can read presumptively and assume uh, that we know, but this really stresses that idea for us that we've talked on here a lot of never read a verse, right? We want to we want to look at these things in context and and move on. And this is a passage that we use a lot within our movement and have gone over right. several times. Do you think we've been reading this passage in context? So. <laughs> Well, first of all, I mean, that's a broad question because, yes. you know, there's a million people reading it, applying it, and using it. I would say in general, um, no, but. And so I think what happens is when, when we look at these things and how Mark's using it in context, we might say, well, wow, we've been applying that not in that way. That doesn't mean it's a wrong application. Well, that's a good point. Right? Mm -hmm. It just yeah. means we've maybe missed the primary application. Okay? And so that can be uh, – that's important because I think oftentimes the primary application is so deep and so challenging and so important that to miss it is is – it's a tragedy – but there's still you can take the principles and apply them in in different ways, and so I, I think we'll look at today. We'll get at a what I think you know we're going to contend is a primary context for this passage and how to apply it. That's a little different than we often approach it, but it doesn't mean other applications are wrong. It just means they're secondary. But what we're trying to teach people to do is you don't want to jump to those until you've done the work of reading it in context and considering what's actually going on. And, and Gianna, the final point I'll say on that is this, I think if we read this in context, the way Jesus was applying it, and the way especially Mark is applying it, we will find this is deeply relevant and challenging for our 21st century context and one that we wouldn't want to miss. And so as we move on to the time machine, why would this have been deeply challenging for the crowds that he is bringing towards him and the disciples following him at this point? 
Yeah, well, I, I think, um, you know, just what we said here, the crowds up to this point have been an obstacle, and now Jesus is calling them over. And so he's unveiling the secret of the kingdom plainly. Notice there's there's no more parables here. There's no more, this is hardcore. And this is, of course, the opposite of what our instincts are. Usually, like, when we want to draw a crowd, that's when we put on the show, <laughs> That's when we like, oh, yeah, we really want to make this, um, you know, uh, the best that we possibly can um, or the easiest or the most appealing. But Jesus has given his hardest stuff here. Jason, any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's um, it, it's an unusual thing to say to those who, you know, want to, you know, be next to you and implement your teachings and, and to, to offer such a, um, frightening, uh, way of life, uh, in that, that, that way of life and way of life might be the wrong phrase, actually. I'm, I'm not sold on that when it comes to a lot of this stuff because it, communicates some sort of personal philosophy but this this uh, I don't know, it's a, it's it's a it's a summons to a loss of self it's a um i and i think that loss of self looks mostly like shame and pain and i think those are the images the cross um are meant to convey in the invitation. It's not really an invitation. It's a requirement, right? Um, yeah. So I, it's, it's odd. It's odd to have a teacher say what it means to be a part of this school is to suffer greatly. <laughs> and, and, and it, I mean, that's basically what's going on. Right? Like these are his students. These are his, they're trying to learn from us. You want to, you want to learn from me. You want to know what I know. You want the education that I'm going to get then the only way forward is a participation in my very life. Here's what my very life will look like. It'll be one of being ashamed, judged, condemned, and ultimately killed. Um, so, you know, in some of these guys listening, that's, that's exactly what was going to happen to them. They're going to, they're going to truly share fellowship with Jesus in his mission. But for many of those, and he's saying for all who want to follow him, uh, it would be something similar. So I'm hesitant to like label this and kind of like, see, if you want to follow Jesus, you got to be willing to deny your, yourself. And what I mean by that is if whatever, you know, do, do the yeah. dishes for your family. Like mm-hmm. it, it may, it may That's mean fine. something like that, but I think, I think the stakes are a lot higher because to associate yourself with a condemned man is to risk yourself being condemned. So Jason, let me, let me jump in there. We were talking the other day about this idea of deny yourself um, and understanding how Mark is using that phrase, how it's used in the New Testament, and how that it may challenge some of how we view the call to discipleship and what it means mm-hmm. to deny ourselves. Um, can you expand on that for our listeners? Because you had some real golden stuff there. Um, right. Yeah. So the, um, so the, the, the word here for when Jesus, uh, calls them 
to deny himself, it, it only appears in the Greek New Testament, um, let's see, 11 times. And it's, um, it's always in the synoptic uh, gospel, uh, which is to say Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So this would be maybe evidence that they're sharing, um, sharing sources at some level. But, um, but to deny oneself how this is used, um, it, so in each of the synoptic gospels, it comes up here in this call to deny yourself as a requirement for followership or discipleship, right? In order to follow Jesus, you must deny yourself. And it, so it comes just after a prediction of Jesus's own death. It, and the call to deny yourself is an explanation of Jesus's prediction. Here's what it will mean for you. He's, he's expanding on the prediction to say you'll be called into that same uh, same situation. Um, uh, and then it appears again, this word, um, when Peter actually denies Jesus. Remember the whole rooster crowing thing, you'll deny me, you know, three times before the rooster crows in, in one account. Um, but so it appears only in these places, um, and then in Luke 12, but it's also a summons to, um, to discipleship. So, so what it looks like, it seems, or you could make the case, uh, how this language is used of denying oneself is to not just opt for a life where you kind of, quote, put yourself on the shelf, but to actually deny your safety, <laughs> to actually deny your, your life, like to surrender yourself to judgment and condemnation. Because if you think about it, the requirement for discipleship is to not deny the Lord, but to deny yourself. So there's going to come a moment when we're going to have to choose whether we, we acknowledge the Lord to our own pain and potential loss of life, or we, we, we don't deny ourselves, we deny the Lord. And so the disciples, it seems like Mark, and I think following Mark, Matthew, and Luke, want to portray the disciples having heard the call to, the, to, deny, themselves, to deny themselves when the moment came to deny themselves, the greatest of the apostles denied the Lord instead. Because um, you only have this, this language of self-denial coming up a couple of times. Now, now, you could maybe explain it in different ways, but I think in terms of the narrative logic of Mark, um, it's, it's, it, it grabs my attention that Peter did not deny himself, he denied Jesus. And so you think, what would it have looked like if he had denied himself? Well, he would have been lumped in with Jesus. He could have got strung up too. They could have ridiculed him. I mean, and those same things will be a problem for everyone who follows Jesus in every day and age. You know, I mean, just to be associated with this weird, usually cheesy, corny group of people we call the church is a way of denying yourself, right? You're to to stand next to um, the people of God and not be embarrassed. To stand next to the Lord and what the culture says is shameful, not be embarrassed. I deny myself rather than deny Him. 
Um, so I think it's a lot deeper than, you know, you want to go see what, whatever this movie and your wife wants to go see that movie, carry your cross. I mean, come on, that's ridiculous, but that's how we, that's how we often describe it. Um, and so I think this is a very, or, or I don't feel like sharing my faith today, but I did. So oh, there's I, a even better yeah. example, right, which is a problem in several directions, but, um, right. Yeah. So when the rubber meets the road, who are you denying you or the Lord? If it costs you your life, are you going to deny the Lord or are you going to deny yourself? Right. That what's the line, Michael, I forget the exact verse in Revelation where they say they didn't love their lives so much as to shrink back from death, so, something like that. Yeah. I think that's the idea here. Yeah, I'm wondering, Micretia, when you first read this, and if you can remember, I'm, I'm, I don't know how long you've been a disciple or you follow Jesus, but I feel like it's been a long time from our conversations. But when you first read this passage versus how you look at it now, is there anything different of how you view this, this absolutely. I think it kind of what Jason was sharing, like, you know, I might have to deny myself an hour of sleep to go somewhere or to do something or whatever, you know, like those little moment to moment decisions versus um understanding that this is an a road to eternal life and that it is the lot for the long haul, you know. Um and I think even just looking at how Jesus was was sharing it says um in verse going back up to verse 31 it says and he began to teach them um that the son of man must suffer uh many things and be rejected by the elders of uh, and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed so even the people at that time that were looked at as being like the highest of the high you know for the culture it's going to look different than even what they tell you is essentially what i feel like he's sharing and i think that constantly reminds me that sometimes even the 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 elders and the chief priests and, and the teachers are going to say something the culture is going to say something but I have to constantly look back to the life of Christ and what he did and the road that he lived and understand that that my road you know if it's not if it doesn't look like that you know then I need to reevaluate just kind of where I'm at, you know, not to say that it, that I need to, um, you know, constantly just, I don't know, just feel bad, but understanding that it costs something. If, if my life at that point is, if my Christianity or if my, um, followership is not costing me anything, then I need to probably evaluate where I'm at in that moment. And I think, you know, kind of like what Jason said, am I going to have this piece of Twix candy or not? That's not self, that not necessarily self. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because you know, the answer is yes. The if you're answer me. is I'm going to have it. Hands <laughs> <laughs> down, yeah. I'm have it, you know, but um, really like with, with those, um, the, the, the highest real estate of my life, you know, with my time, with my finances, with all of those things, like is, is Jesus at the head of that? Can somebody look to those things where I spend my time and my life and my money and see that it's following God, that I am following God in that? And not just for show, even if nobody's looking, is that what I'm doing? And so I think um, as I've as I've grown or become or aged um, in my Christian walk, I feel like um, sometimes 
um, you know, keeping my eyes on the the prize, you know, eyes on the prize of of knowing that I'm giving honor to God with my mm-hmm. life, even if somebody else may not do it the same way. Um, that is is just what informs me now. Whereas before, it was more minute to minute. You know, um, I'm watching the clock. You know, as a baby Christian, watching the clock while I'm quote unquote fasting, sitting with a piece of chicken, like waiting until I can take my bite. You know, and that's I mean, amazing. no, I'm honest to God, true. You know, that's kind of what it was like. You know, um, years ago, but um, yeah, yeah. So I, I'm guessing sometimes the most what would feel like obvious ways to us, like, oh, I'm going to do this faster. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. That's denying myself. Might not be the actual denial that Jesus is talking about here. Michael, it looked like you had something to mention. I do. Oh, no. So so let me throw the hand grenade into all of this for everybody. Um, We have talked throughout the Gospel of Mark, of Mark presenting this as a cosmic invasion. Um, You have Jesus the kingdom of God breaking into the kingdom of darkness. It's a challenge to the powers that be. And it's key that right before this, Peter has identified Jesus as the Messiah. He doesn't totally understand what that means, but he knows he's the Messiah. And the Messiah in Jewish imagination and Jewish understanding is is going to deal with the enemies. He's going to Jerusalem. He's cleaning house on on the problem. He's going to come into his glory and into power. And so when Jesus says, I'm going there to be killed, Peter has no room for that. That's not victory. That's losing. Uh, how I don't want that sort of Messiah. I don't want that. We have to have power. That's all Peter can understand. And so now Jesus says, okay, Peter, you're representing really where everybody's at here. So let me call the crowds over and explain this. Um, I'm going to come into my glory by going to the cross, by laying down my life. That's what it looks like. This is how God gains victory over the powers of darkness. And you're only going to share in that if you follow my path, this cross of powerlessness, this cross of uh, this path of surrender, um, you know, and so there's such a commitment to the kingdoms of darkness that the only way they can perceive it is, well, if there's an enemy, we've got to use the weapons supplied by that very enemy. We've got to grab power. We've got to fight fire with fire. We've got to fight uh, sword with sword. Um, and so Jesus is calling them to the weapons of the kingdom, and they didn't like it. it. It was so out of their realm. And so what they're talking about primarily here is fighting for political power. That's what Peter wants. That's how the kingdom is going to come. You be the Messiah that we expect you to be. This is common sense. And so what Jesus is challenging them on is you've got to deny yourself in that aspect. You've got to deny this idea of power of the way the world works. That's not 
how we're going to live in the world. And he says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world? In other words, the primary context here is what good is it for you to gain all the political and cultural power, but you've used weapons of the world to do it. You've forfeited your soul. You've You've made a Faustian bargain. You have denied me and not yourself. You, You have gone the, you have fallen into the trap of fighting for God with the weapons of Satan. And it's so funny. We've mentioned this before. Michael, you said that dying by the way of the cross brought is a shameful way to die in that time period. But now we see in this passage that Jesus says that he would be ashamed of, I have to bring it back up. I'm I'm losing my train of thought here, but at the very end uh, he says, the son of man will be ashamed of them. So it's so funny how the type of shame we see a shameful death on a cross. And then Jesus saying, he sees it differently. He yes, would be yes, ashamed yes. if we acted opposite of the way that he's showing us. Um, and so I guess the question is, what, what is Jesus wow. talking about here, being ashamed of them when he yeah. comes in the Father's glory with the holy angels? Yeah, spot on. So that's that's part of this same concept, right? So if if you, what good is it to gain control of the mechanisms of political power and might but you're destroyed with the present age. You you gain the whole world, but you forfeit your soul. And then he says, you know, be better to to lay your life down. And maybe you you go this way. But he says, in, in response to your question, being ashamed of me and my words, I think this is a callback to, again, the parable of the sower. And we've talked about the the power of that. What What was the word there? The, the message, the way of the cross, that's what he's talking about here. Not the way of the world, not power, but the message of the cross preached in the parable of the sower. And so now he's saying it plainly. It's not a general statement about, man, if you're out in a mall and you lose your nerve and don't go reach out to somebody, well, now you've been ashamed of Jesus' words and he's going to be ashamed of you. Although, you know, that's, I mean, you want to be bold and listen to the spirit and those sorts of things. And I think that's a good thing. And maybe that's a secondary application, but the primary application here is this is about um, uh, taking your place in the community of sacrifice and surrender, Uh, being one of those people who don't go after power. And so here's the thing. With this cosmic invasion, Jesus is trying to teach them how they're going to make a difference in the world, how they're going to be a light. And at every point, it's like, it's not through power. It's not through power. It's not through the ways of the world. And it's hard to talk about this section without expanding to, you know, the larger things that Mark is doing. Because if you remember, he began earlier in chapter eight with, you know, the blind man incident and, he heals them once, and I see people like trees, and they're walking around, but they don't quite get it. Well, this is that first example of the disciples not getting it and needing 
to be touched again because they don't see, they don't understand what Jesus is saying about power and the way of the cross. And so if we go to chapter 10, it should not be surprising that at the end of this section, in verses 42 to 45, Jesus says, the Gentiles, he just says it straightly now, they lord power over one another, not so with you. He's now summed up this whole section going back to Mark 8. Don't give up your kingdom identity for what you think is good, but you're using power manipulation, the weapons of the world to get it. And then right after that is when blind Bartimaeus comes in and here's a blind man who sees, who who understands who Jesus is and what he's doing. And Mark is making a, a really powerful point by stitching this all together what denying yourself means, what it means to be ashamed of Jesus. And this is the last thing I'll say. If we understand that correctly then, and let this one hit us in the face, sometimes those who trumpet Christianity or Jesus the most are the most ashamed of Jesus' words because they don't want the way of the cross. They don't want to be refused. They don't want to sacrifice. They want to trumpet a version of Christianity that they've created by gaining power, by forcing others, by imposing uh, a, a, a cultural morality on others and think that is what Jesus is calling them to. And he would say, you, that is being ashamed of my words. Right, right. Does anyone else have to add, Jason? You have, before we move on to taking a selfie. Um, well, I yeah, it makes me think of you know when, <clears throat> let's say, because this is a a, a useful uh, part of Mark for introducing um, the the person unfamiliar with Jesus and the Bible. I mean, th- this is this is a good place to to take somebody. And, and I feel like if this is, you know, if you're trying to explain this to a new person, um, it's tempting to, to describe it like Michael just said, like, you're going to not feel like going to church sometimes, deny yourself. You're going to feel like not sharing your face sometimes, deny yourself. You know, like, you're going to feel like not reading the Bible sometimes, deny yourself. And though, that's fine. And, you know, that works. And hopefully those things don't become a matter of <laughs> denial, but they become instinct and, and delightful to you at some point. Uh, but, but I think, I think what this really might get at is, is you know, we've been taught our whole lives in, in our, uh, in our part of the world, like, what is it? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And, I think to come under the tent of Jesus, this these verses challenge that kind of thing. Like you might be ashamed of the Lord uh, in your pursuit of your own, you know, you know, your own ambitions, your own need to have X, Y, and Z because you've been told, um, you know, it's about you. <laughs> and I think this challenges more things like that, um, with a deeper core, like. Um, 
propensity to deny the Lord, but not think we actually are. Oh, I'm still a Christian. I believe all the right things, but I pursue my career with the utmost, you know, focus to the detriment of everything around me. And and I think this this kind of thing really realigns our whole um, values uh, because you're you're tempted. Uh, you know, y- y- if you if you try too hard to be like Jesus, even in the average workplace, I shouldn't say try too hard. If you try even a little, um, you you could easily be rejected. You might not throw in your lot with the whole American dream. You might not throw in your lot with the way whatever, s- sex, drugs, rock and roll, although rock and roll definitely is not a sin. Um, <laughs> um, but there's this there's this challenge to your whole... Um. Uh, yeah, I guess where you draw the line. So, uh, so I think we're doing a disservice if we don't uh, help people coming into the church understand to deny yourself is actually it may mean renouncing yourself, not just. Um, yeah, renouncing your ways of thinking and yeah. all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Would we venture to say, and this is just my own thought, if we follow Jesus and our life looks pretty similar to how it looked before we followed Jesus, there may be some things we want to think about. And in in our life, meaning many different areas, we we talk about our political beliefs, our uh, just all the different types of beliefs that we have, our worldview in general. If a lot of those aren't challenged after we start following Jesus, that might be something to pay attention to and see are we really denying ourselves in in many aspects and areas in our life? As we that's move a, on, that's a great point. I would I would say though, instead of a lot of all of <laughs> all of those you know, things. I I'm <laughs> I have not ventured over to the bold side yet where where you live, Michael. I, I'm getting there. Come on over, Gianna. <laughs> uh, as we venture into taking a selfie, Michael, you have a quote. That you want to kick us off? I do. This is this is great. This is from uh, Timothy Gombus and his uh, um, commentary on the Gospel of Mark, which we have referenced several times, and we've had him as a guest here on the podcast. Uh, a guy that I um, personally and admiringly refer to as the Gombus, and so I, I wanted to quote from him. And he says here, um, Jesus' call for disciples to lose their lives in this present age so that they might gain them in the future presents a massive challenge to Christians caught up in the culture wars. Frances Fitzgerald, in her book, The Evangelicals, narrates the history of evangelical Christianity in America as a struggle to gain political power in order to influence the moral culture of the nation. This is an impulse that was present from the country's founding and has been on display over the last century as conservative Christians have allied themselves with the Republican Party and its various leaders. And I'll break in here and say, and I've read other things from Gomez, and for us, again, that's not saying, oh, we give the liberal Democratic Party a pass. Um, certainly not. And there are some people now who are starting to say, oh, if you're going to really be a Christian, you need to be over on the left. 
I would critique that just as much. But I think there's little question that for the last at least 50 or 60 years, um, Republicanism and Christianity have been uh, very appealing to one another. And so that's where he's addressing here. So I'll go back and read. He says, um, over the closing decades of the 20th century and into the 21st century, this alliance has solidified so that many evangelicals conceive of an equivalence between voting Republican and being Christian. And they imagine that advancing the political fortunes of the party somehow also advanced the kingdom of God. Fitzgerald details how Dwight Eisenhower exploited Billy Graham's popularity to spread the message of anti-communism and foster patriotism in the cause of guaranteeing national security. Graham portrayed America as uniquely Christian, and his preaching was filled with calls for America to repent and turn back to God in the hopes that God would preserve the nation from foreign threats. Over the last 50 years, the alliance between conservative Christians and the Republican Party has focused on retaking the Supreme Court in order to somehow roll back gay rights and overturn the legality of abortion. Because these efforts involve political agitation and demonization of political opponents, Christian efforts have inflamed the culture war in America. Animosity and public rhetoric on all sides has become increasingly vitriolic and destructive. Sadly, Despite the intentions of many conservative Christians to be Christian in America is now taken to mean one who is angry, judgmental, and bigoted. And the point here is we can get so caught up in the cause of what we think Christianity is about or morality or reduce Christianity to morality that we then lose all sight of how the kingdom is actually brought about and how Jesus t taught us to respond to those who disagree with us or who would consider themselves enemies uh, of ourselves. And we no longer use the weapons of the kingdom. We no longer walk the way of the cross. And we think, well, the ends justify the means. And so we use political power, a thing Jesus warned us over and over again, not to use. We use strength and culture war and intimidation and demonizing enemies and all the things Jesus said not to do. We are denying him. You're right. You're right. We are being ashamed of him. And I'll, I'll end with this. And then I want to hear the thoughts of, of you guys on this. Um, I heard a poll recently that asked what was more important to overcome our disagreements and build bridges with those who think differently with us or to crush our enemies. <laughs> and every subgroup in America, including atheists, said it was to build bridges and overcome our disagreements, find common ground, except for white evangelical American Christians who said, no, the most important thing is to crush our enemies and gain power. That, I contend, and I don't want to mince words here, is to deny and be ashamed of Jesus. Amen. Yeah, that well, seems so. shocking to me, actually, <laughs> that that would be uh, what that group would have said. I, I just wouldn't have thought it— um, I know that there's extreme. Oh, I would have. I grew up in that. <laughs> I was going to say, kind is of it? culture, that I mean, larger culture. 
I think because, you know, and largely due to my husband, he he tries to say, you know, think about people's hearts and this and that. So I really try now to do that. Um, so I think I'm like, oh, wow. Well, and that's the thing. People are sincere. They want to follow Jesus, mm-hmm. but they're they're blind. They're not listening to what Jesus actually called us to. Yeah. That how we go about things is more important even than than maybe sometimes what we're fighting for. It's and you surpri- Oh, go ahead. It's not surprising in the sense that there is a group, you know, like there's somebody yeah. because, you know, as we shared that Jesus or he was taught he said that 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 the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, you know, and by the chief priests. So mm-hmm. I think you know, historically, there's always been a group or some groups or whatever that that should fully understand that don't fully understand and don't grasp. Yeah. You've already alluded to this, Michael, as you're speaking, but Jason, Micretia, uh, just if you guys want to comment on how do you think that this passage relates to modern evangelical engagement in partisan politics and the culture wars? And if Michael, you want to chime in, of course. Yeah. Well, I do, yeah. and I'll wait. Yeah, what do you think, Micretia? Well, I'll just say, like, you know, at a at a I guess a human level or whatever, this causes calls us to the opposite of, you know, um modern day success, modern day comfort, modern modern day financial gain. It's like you're you're essentially being willing to um, suffer the most and have the least, you know, is what Jesus is saying, calling us to that life. And I think anytime, you know, we talk about like politics or think about politics, really the divide is, you know, who can have more and, you know, the having more is and the having less, you know. And so I feel like just at the very, um, you know, the very core of it, it's going to be, it's, people are going to be, or are going to be living a life that is going to be painful and uncomfortable. And I think when, when we're talking about, um, you know, or gains for political reasons or people like siding with a party to get what they want, that's the very opposite of what, (laughs) of what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, you're going to deny yourself and denial is the opposite of what we want. And so I think, um, maybe not talking about spe- specific political issues or whatever, just at the very core, it challenges what I want or what whoever is siding with whatever party to get what they want um, out of it is what Jesus is challenging. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, I you know, I feel like, you know, when Jesus finally gets to Jerusalem, his first order of business is to offer a, um, in, 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 in a, a kind of speech act, uh, the, the message that the, the temple as a, as a political hub, as a place of safety against the nations, uh, for the sake of Israel is redundant, that that whole way of being and thinking and keeping oneself safe is like, it's, it, it won't work. It's over. Um, God is, is, is on the move and it's not in that direction. It's up towards Golgotha. And, and I think, um, like, I love, uh, 
well, especially in James Smith's book, um, Awaiting the King, he calls, um, you know, the powers in this age or, you know, the, the empires, as he, as he, he calls it penultimate, um, that it's, it's just before the ultimate reality. Like they're transient. Nations rise and fall. They submit to God, whether they like it or not. That's the whole testimony of the prophets, right? Like he's the Lord of history. Um, and I think to follow Jesus is to be comfortable, or maybe not comfortable, but um, resigned to the fact that your way of life in following Jesus may offer a critique of something that's temporary. Now, it's scandalous to talk about, let's say, the United States as a temporary power. Uh, but we have to, if we're going to be honest about the biblical text, right? Um, so those things could get you in a, a lot of hot water. That it's it's not um, it's not aimed at repairing one side or the other, but rather the announcement that through suffering and death, a new reality is going to come to birth, and as already, like the labor pains are already um, visible. Um, and so I think it intersects in a way that. Um, I don't know. It do, it doesn't it doesn't help. <laughs> Following Jesus does not help in, in that sense. The, the, these these discussions in the world it actually offers a, a larger vision in a different way. I think. I mean, yeah, yeah. And you know, I want to say one or two more things on that. I think with this passage in Mark. Of, of course, it's it's really connected in so many ways with the previous passage of Peter rebuking Jesus and, and basically correcting Jesus. Jesus, right. you have right. the wrong vision. And, and the way, and so Peter is um, painting his vision of the kingdom, which is, has been um, fueled by the powers and authorities, quite frankly, by their view of the world, by how you succeed, how you get things done, that he's now painting over the masterpiece of Jesus with the the paint from the powers and authorities and correcting Jesus. And so when we engage in these ways, when we say, you know what, you know what matters is, is stopping abortion. That's what matters. And how we do it doesn't matter. We're going to gain political power. We're going to take over. We're going to win the culture war so that we can stop this evil. We've talked about that. Abortion is a tragic scourge. And we definitely want to um, position ourselves in in a loving way for those who have partaken in it, but still uh, against it. And we want to see it eliminated. But we've got to do it through kingdom means, which ironically have proven to be far more effective. And so our imaginations are tainted because we think that the weapons of the world. And so when we do that, we are standing there in Peter's shoes, correcting Jesus. Well, thank you, Jesus. That's cute. The whole way of the cross thing is cute, Mm -hmm. but that's not what gets things done. We need a strong man. We need power. We need this sort of thing. And, And one last clarification I want to make. We're not saying to not be engaged, to let the vulnerable stay vulnerable, to just be comfortable, to withdraw, you know, which total withdrawal is a is a position of privilege. 
But we're saying engage through kingdom methods, engage through, you know, on behalf of the vulnerable, on behalf of the poor, take up the the fight for justice. Gosh, I'm tempted here, Jason, to go into Ephesians 6 and, and Isaiah 59, you know, yeah. where God is the divine warrior against justice and or against injustice and how Paul uses right. that imagery right. in Ephesians 6, but we can't. We can't do anything more than drop that little hint there than I did. But we've got to be careful that we're not being like Peter and correcting and denying Jesus mm-hmm. in his name. I think Peter was correcting mm-hmm. Jesus in the name of Jesus. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. right. So. You it's don't right, understand. Yeah, right, right. i, I got to protect you from yourself, mm-hmm. Jesus, because yeah. that's not going to work. That's so good. Uh, it's, yeah. just, it's just awesome. And such Peter's nature to continue to want to do that as we see it progress in the story here, um, which is funny because I feel like that that could be my nature if if I do not deny myself, wanting to protect Jesus in His ways at all costs. What does that look like? And Jesus saying, you know, hang back a minute. That's that's not what I've shown you <laughs> ever. But uh, you still want to jump at those things, you know. As we wrap up and go into the Kingdom Come section. Uh, how do we turn this around, Michael and Micresha and Jason? Jason. <laughs> I, Jason. I knew it was coming out. Jason. Stop it. Jason. <laughs> Rusty. That's easier for me to say right. for those who've listened in the past couple episodes. Um, how do we turn around this draw to the culture wars and fighting through power manipulation or any means necessary? I feel like that is the question because oftentimes we can pose this is how not to, but what is the way? Where, where do we go from here? Ouch. Right. Practicals, people. Well, I'll, I'll go first, I guess. I think it is immersing ourselves in Scripture in the way that it wants to challenge us, being formed by scripture, not just reading it, not just using it, not just saying, well, this is a tool now. I, I read this to answer all the questions in life. Everything's answered by scripture in a way it is, but not in the way of like, there's a test and now I go in here and find the answer and now apply it. Scripture, I think, is meant to form us and transform us, but we we've we've got to immerse ourselves in it. And to do that, we've got to, you know, Paul says, take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Do we examine what we think is true, why we think is true, what we listen to, what forms us, what disciples us, what, you know, what underlying assumptions we make. And I see guys even like, oh, we need to get a vision again of manhood, but they're not really letting that come from Scripture, or they're saying, we've got to get back to being a Christian nation again. Is that even a biblical category or idea? And, you know, well, let's go to the Founding Fathers. They were geniuses and read their stuff. Like, why? <laughs> why? Yeah. That, to me, that's like, not if I want to see how to live like Jesus in the world. Maybe there's some value there, but I think we've got to fall in love 
with scripture and the power of it in the way that it's intended to transform us and, you know, be willing to deny ourselves. A lot of the things I believe and teach that come from scripture, I don't like naturally. It's not how I wanted to do things. It's not what I used to think or believe, but I've let scripture transform me. And I think that's where we have to start as a community, um, going where scripture leads and denying ourselves. Yeah. So I, I have, (laughs) sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying, I mean, essentially the same, you know, the only, we have to start, um, number one, if we don't start with ourselves, then we're basically, sharing a message that we're not living, which is hypocrisy and probably the most repulsive thing for people who, you know, uh, don't, who are seeking truth, you know, and seeking to know um, what this truth is that we believe, but they really won't ever want it because they don't see it in our lives. They don't see us practicing. So I think that first, and then also being well, like if you see something, say something, you know, but you don't have a leg to stand on if it's not something that you're you're seeking to live with your own life. And then within our Christian community, you know, um, as we're learning, you know, standing alongside our brothers and sisters and sharing what we're learning, you know, and sometimes that may be sharing what we're learning. Sometimes it might be um, challenging what we see. But again, if it's not present in your own life, then you don't have a leg to stand mm-hmm. on and challenge anybody else yeah. with it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I when it when it comes to practicals, it's it is my thought is there are some practical things you can do, but it's also kind of impractical. Um and so I've I've over the last few years, I've landed on about five different things I think Christians can do should should at least be doing and the the first is prayer. Um uh, because we we believe that the kingdom of God is in fact God's kingdom, <laughs> um, so I think eliciting help and petitioning the Lord, I think reading and not just reading but internalizing Scripture, like Michael was saying, play, paying close attention to what seems to matter most to God and the way they think about the world around them. Um, and I think you do that prayer and reading and internalizing scripture by gathering with other Christians. And this is one of the greatest temptations to um, forego in a fast paced culture to, to not. And I'm not talking about just Sunday services, but gathering with Christians um, in fellowship with prayer and discussion and counseling one another and helping one another. Because my, my, my fourth, uh, thought would be service, which I think those meetings help us being offering a service to the world around us. And by service, I mean leveraging whatever position we're in to make inroads for God's kingdom, Uh, not withdrawing, but creatively and intentionally looking for opportunities to anticipate, demonstrate, and implement God's ways around us. But I think you get that. That is fueled by prayer, scripture, and the church. And then I think the last thing would be challenging. Um, I think I think Christians need to, you know, get some guts. <laughs> you know, I think I think I think we're really af- afraid that people won't want to be a part of our group. 
if we challenge things, uh, brands, companies, ideas, uh, political uh, ideologies, whatever, if, if we can't challenge people to think like Jesus because we're familiar with who Jesus is by our own reading and prayer, um, then it, it'll be tough for us to really have an impact. I think status quos need to be pushed. I think we'll upset people if we want to do that. So, I th- But I think it's practical for me, prayer, reading, uh, prayer, reading, gathering, offering a service and challenging where it needs to be challenged. Um, so I know that was a bit of a sermon, but those five things have been helping me a great deal. No, I think that's great. Uh, this might be the first time, Jason, you've come with some real practicals right well, in tra- front of my face. No, I, tell, I, tell, I tell the church that I'm a part of, I say, if I ever have like a bullet point where I'm like point number one, I'm like, savor it. This is all you're going to get. I'll give you one every five years because it's just not the way I think. So, No, all helpful. Any other thoughts as we wrap up today's podcast? It's all you, G. Yeah. Well, my Cresha. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks we love having me. another woman's voice. At least I love having another woman's <laughs> voice on here. I love it. I love it too. <laughs> I know she says that like we're. I know it. Like what it. in the world? <laughs> well, you know, there's other people listening and not just us. It's just not us yeah. four here. No. Yeah, uh, I have to know, Gianna, that all of us listeners say that you make the show. <laughs> Thank you. You make the show. You know, that, <laughs> well, today, that's fair. That's Today, fair. my little girl was um, making me feel not the best, so I was grateful to have another person on today uh, <laughs> to help fill in the space and the gaps, but great stuff all the way around. Michael, what are we hitting next week? Oh, you know, we've got to discuss that. We're going to be in the Gospel mm-hmm. of Mark, but we we are still debating which passage. All right. So it shall be a surprise the next time that we meet again for everyone to listen. If you want to reach out to us, tell us what you thought about the episode or have anything on your heart you want to share, we'd love to hear. Just email the icon podcast at gmail.com. That's E-I-K-O-N podcast at gmail.com. We look forward to being with you guys next week. We'll catch you then. <laughs>